This is another iRaw podcast. So, so that was the environment in which I grew up. And so I always had the, uh, an understanding that animals are so much more than most people have the opportunity to recognize. We, we certainly in this culture know that about our dogs and cats. We don't tend to extend that knowing to other animals other than horses. We do. Hey, I'm Katya. I am a writer and a life coach for animal people. And I'm Jenny. I'm the founder of Better Together Dog Rescue. And together we are your hosts here at The Animal That Changed You. We are moms of both humans and dogs who want to advocate for animals, support our animal friends, and seek out ways to make a difference. So if you love animals, you have come to the right place. This show is for you. When is Casa going to get me some old beagles? I am having a hell of a time finding an old senior beagle and I need, I need a senior beagle girl. Guys, help. I mean, this is me texting Brittany right now. Like, where are Katya's senior beagles? I need like an old girl or two. You don't have to tell my husband. No, nobody You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody. We need to know only what we need to know. We're going to get them for you. Jenny, I have an important question that's on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to ask it. Maybe alienating people. Maybe bringing okay. them in. I don't know. But it's my truth. I'm going here. Do you also get pissed off? When people who are known for their brand is some sort of heightened spirituality, motivational speaking, uh, wokeness, equality, fairness, all the right things, right? All the things we say we want to be, all the good things, buying a dog. Buying a dog. Buying. I mean, here is my dog that I bought. I'm not saying that Mm. I have a fundamental judgment about everyone who buys a dog. I'm also not saying that I don't not have a fundamental judgment over everyone who buys a dog. I am saying that I have a certain expectation and I want to just call out that this could be unfair and totally mine, but somebody whose brand, whose platform, who's known for being like, I am so awake in this world. I understand connection, equality, love, oneness, but not when it comes to animals. It's a big dip for me. Yes. I understand your thinking about that. And I need to process it a little bit more, but I know many people who have purchased animals and I have also guided people away from it the best that I can. Do I love all those dogs the same? Of course I do. Yeah, But I think it's, you know, I think for maybe for a lot of people in those brands and everything, like they need some sort of control mm. and people think they're getting control in purebred dogs. They do. Right. And I can really empathize with that, that desire for control. I can sympathize. I can love them for it and I can relate. And I also think that maybe I need to do a little bit of soul searching work on why, you know, why I assume that buying a dog is always the wrong decision for someone. Like who am I to decide what other people's decisions should be? I am just the person who's going to the shelter and seeing what I see, but I'm not the person walking in their shoes, seeing, walking their, you know, living their life. And those two things aren't the same. They're not the same. And I think that we could like head over to my whiteboard one day and write a list out of 
pros and cons on, on this topic alone. It's taken this long for you to offer me a whiteboard session. Like I'm upset that I didn't even know there was, do you know how much I love a list? My whiteboard is my life. I cannot live without it. And I'm now getting enlightened. I mean, I feel like, listen, I have come up with some ideas lately and you know it now it includes whiteboards and dream boards. Yes. Tati and I, and hopefully our listeners will be getting in on a dream board soon, a vision board. This is a call for that. I have lots of boards happening in my mind. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're about to bring in our guests, but please hear what Jenny just said. Take some time, make your vision board or, or just put it on your whiteboard. Either way, we can't tell you how to be, what to do, but share it with us. Tag us. Come tell us about your board. We want to board up with you. Yeah, we want to board up. We'll be sharing our vision boards as well on our social so you can follow along with our dreams. Yeah, let's dream together. Now, today, I'm excited because I need a break from talking about dogs. We have Kathy Stevens here, who is the founder of the Catskills Farm Sanctuary in New York. And we are going to be talking all things sanctuary, barn meetings, animals of all kinds. I, I cannot wait. Kathy, welcome to the animal that changed you. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Katya. Happy oh. to be with you. We're happy to have you. And you also are a podcast pro. Can you tell everyone the name of your podcast? I will. It's called Herd Around the Barn, H-E-R-D, but I will tell you it's a, on a little bit of, of a hiatus right now. I just had bandwidth issues. It's a lot to do yeah. with the podcast. You guys might know what it's like. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I am running this organization and it's a critical time in our history. We've just done a giant rescue. So I, it's, uh, I just couldn't sustain it. So it's on hiatus, not permanently shuttered. And I hope to be able to get back to it in the new year. Well, we hope so too. And we'll always be available to you if you need content and guests to just come talk. You know, we can do that. You've now heard. I have heard a rumor. Tell us about the big rescue that you just had. Well, So Catskill Animal Sanctuary has been around for 20 years. And in the early years, when you've got acreage, you can say yes to big rescues. But when you fill up, you can't because you have no more capacity. So, you know, if we've got 150 acres and we've got 20 some horses and 18 cows and and 20 pigs, et cetera, et cetera, you can only rescue at least big animals when you lose one. Because, mm-hmm. because you can't do more than your resources allow. So it was only because we had gotten to the point in our history where we had lost so many of our old guys that we felt like we could say yes to this situation that was knocking on our door in which a guy had 40 sheep. No, he had some untold number of sheep and they were starving to death. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were dying of starvation and they were dying of being so overloaded with with parasites that they were completely anemic. They were dying from hoof infections that were so bad that the infections were moving up their legs. And we found out about it because the guy was our neighbor and we didn't know. We had no idea. It just looked like a long dirt road. But one day... The police called us because there were a bunch of sheep 
in the middle of the road and they wanted our help corralling them and getting them back. And they were visibly emaciated. Now a sheep has to be nearly dead to see the outline of the hips and the spine through all that wool. I can't imagine, um, yeah. So we initiated an investigation with the police and the SPCA, and it was a very, very involved story. But we went in, by the time we actually were able to go in, a huge number of sheep had died. But we took the 40 remaining sheep, who some were too weak to stand, some were crawling around on their knees. They were so, so skinny. And this won't be meaningful, I don't think, to most of your audience. But but when you do fecal tests to determine worm load, you measure in eggs per gram of mm -hmm. poop. And they had tens of thousands of worms and eggs in their feces. So they were so anemic that they were just wouldn't have survived. We had to, we had to take blood from our existing flock for blood transfusions for some of the sheep. Thank so, God. And this is your neighbor. Is, what, is this just yeah. neglect? Is this a mental health issue? Like you know what, what and how and why? So I am not sure how much of this story I can tell. The sheep were literally just surrendered yesterday. Hmm. Wow. yesterday. Wow, Kathy. And there's still a few issues to resolve in court, but I, so I don't know, I don't want to disclose his name. I, I will just say that I don't think he was intentionally harming animals. And I don't think he was a hoarder because God knows we've dealt with enough of them. I think he thought he was going to get some support from some organizations that support was not forthcoming and he got in over his head. He couldn't afford to neuter the boys, so they were just reproducing. Wouldn't you say that that happens with hoarding too, though? Not to like, <clears throat> I'm in no way, shape or form pro-hoarding. I want to make a statement here that the animal that changed yeah, yeah. you is not pro-hoarding. I am just saying I do sometimes, and I, I can be somewhat idealistic, but I do sometimes wonder about Hoarders getting in over their head, mental health issues, and our tendency mm. as an animal welfare community to shun, punish, shame hoarders, as opposed to just just paying devil's advocate, leaning in of you need help, we still need you. Okay, you know so what I'm there saying. Are, so, yeah. So there are three levels of hoarders, and it sounds like you know that hoarding has been recently declared a mental illness, and it's yes. now in. Okay. Yes. There are three levels of hoarding. I can't remember their names, but I did interview on my podcast, actually, as well as talk to, when we were involved in a very complicated hoarding case, two of the country's leading experts on hoarding, one of whom has written a book on hoarding, one of whom has been involved in assist hoarders per what you're saying, Katya, rather than demonize them. But in the first level, the first level is exactly what you're saying. People who start off with good intentions and just animals are being brought to them left, right, and center, and they just become overwhelmed. The second level is between the first and the third, that middle ground where an intervention can happen, clearly can happen with some support. The third level is where it truly 
is a compulsion and and the people are so far gone psychologically yeah. that it's that animals are dead and dying in yeah. this environment and you have to get them out mm-hmm. yeah. so it was interesting to learn this was 10 years ago that there are levels at which intervention and support can happen but mm-hmm. by the time we get called there are piles of dead bodies everywhere there are piles of dead bodies and people burning cat carcasses and mm-hmm. like just nightmarish stuff. So that in the interest, I don't believe that punishment in terms of jail time, for example, is purposeful, might make some people on the other side of it feel good. But these are ill people. But at the very least, at the very least, you need the laws to prevent them from having animals again. Very, very, very least. But we do overall make a case for not criminalizing mental health issues when it's convenient for us, not us here, these three people speaking, not our listeners. But I hear that sometimes as sort of conveniently tossed around like, well, we can't criminalize people who have mental illness. But I would say that also holds true for hoarding and for a lot of cases. So would I. So would I. So would I. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think a sentence that makes... I mean, who are the victims? The victims are the animals. So yeah. it's not, you know, it gives it gives a segment of, of our society a certain kind of satisfaction. I don't know that that's the direction we want to go in with these people, it, despite what devastating consequences hoarding has. The, it's, I asked this woman, is this an, is it an, it is, is it epidemic in this country? And, and I'll give you her name if you might want to have her on. I would love, we would love that to. That it absolutely is. It is absolutely epidemic. Really? Yeah. We have, um, a, we have a hoarder a mile from us. We have a hoarder for, for a, one mile down the road. He probably has two or 300 dogs and cats in his house. And uh, holy moly, Kathy. Yeah. And are there no ordinances in the county that protect animals from too many animals from being in a home? There's, I mean, look, the laws are so poorly defined. The SPCA, to their credit, did go in years ago. We And I only know this because we're a farm sanctuary. Catskill Animal Sanctuary doesn't take dogs and cats. But they asked us if we would be the staging organization where they remove the animals, tag them, identify them. And somehow the warrant was not procedurally followed accurately procedurally. And the animals never made it out. That's crazy. And disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. I have two follow-up questions here, if I may, Jenny. One is, why farm animals? I mean, I know why I would do a farm animals. I'd love to hear, we would love to hear the animal who maybe changed you, how you got into this, and what you feel for farm animals. And also, how do you deal with, and I ask this of a lot of our guests because I'm asking for myself, very selfishly, how do you deal with the caring, the, the bearing of there's a hoarder down the road one mile away and I have to drive by and go to the store and go on with my life. Like, where do you put that? These are my, my two follow-up questions, if I may just throw them out there. Mm. So I grew up on a horse farm, but we always had lots of other animals. We had a donkey named Linda. We had goats that I used to sneak into the house. We had dogs. We had cats. 
I always had a dog in my bed. Still do. So that was the environment in which I grew up. And so I always had the uh, an understanding that animals are so much more than most people have the opportunity to recognize. We certainly in this culture know that about our dogs and cats. We don't tend to extend that knowing to other animals other than horses. We do to horses. We certainly don't to the animals that most of us eat, even though it should be a patently obvious thing. So I moved to Boston to go to grad school, uh, became a high school English teacher, and I was invited, and I'm telling you this because all these dots connect. Mm -hmm. I was invited to become the principal of a new charter high school that was opening in Boston, and it was a media and technology high school. And to say that that's not my thing is like the understatement of the century. I can't, I want to live in a tree house and eat mangoes and just throw away all, all of this, all of this stuff. So at that time I was 40 and I thought, wow, you've got so many more years to contribute. I turned down this job and I shocked myself. I shocked myself. It's like, and so, but it was not a good fit. So I thought, well, what, what the heck do you want to do? Because I, it felt like a turning point. And what came to me after a bit is that I wanted to combine my deep love for animals and my deep love of teaching and learning. And so that started to look something like an animal sanctuary. And up here in New York, as in most places, there are a million and one dog and cat shelters. Mm -hmm. There were no sanctuaries for farm animals. And just because we live in a world that chooses not to see them doesn't mean that they are every bit as individual as our dogs and cats, that they have every emotion that our dogs and our cats and our kids do, that they want their lives as much as I want mine and my dog dogs want theirs and as much as uh, and they and pain and suffering feel the same. I think if someone were to look at your website and see a picture of Chester or Edith or Freddie or Jacqueline or Darwin, they would agree. They'd go, oh, yeah, this is fact. Yes. I mean, and it is fact. And what happens? And so we tried 20 years ago, we tried to fill a gap because I don't believe that we are intentionally harming when we sit down to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, nobody's waking up and saying, I can't wait to torture animals at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, we're not doing that. We're just feeding ourselves in a culture that still is trying to force us to believe that we have to have animal products to be healthy, even though that could not be farther from the truth. So I, drawing on my background as a teacher, we created a teaching sanctuary and I will tell you, having done this for two decades, that as much as I might speak all over the country and write books and have a podcast, there's nothing I can say or do, nothing that is as powerful as a chicken falling asleep in a visitor's lap or a turkey coming up and putting his head over her neck to give her a hug or a cow coming up and licking a visitor's face over and over and over and over. Those moments, if the world could have those moments with the animals we eat, we would not be eating them.
And so that's why farm animals, to answer the first part of your question. The second part of the question is in, in terms of how I carry the weight, hold the grief, hold the knowledge. I don't view, to answer your particular question, driving past that place as any worse than going to the grocery store and seeing thousands of dead animals in it. Interesting. Yeah. Who've, been, who've been tortured. They've been tortured. They've lived lives of pain and fear, separated from their mothers at birth. If they've been boys, a lot of times they've been crushed or gassed or what have you, depending on the species. So I don't view it any differently, but secondly, it's not true that I stay in my lane all the time because I'm always trying to place dogs and cats, always trying to help friends find wonderful homes for dogs and cats when they have been seized or something like that. But there are so many more dog and cat organizations and there is so much more funding and community support for dog and cat organizations that to stay in my lane and focus on the ones people don't think about is my job. It's my job. It's my ethical obligation. But how I really hold the burden of this, the weight of this, because I, I love that question and get asked it a lot. And I'm glad you asked that question of your guest, Katya, is that we are on the happy end of this. Mm. We're on the happy end. Do you think I could be the ones doing the undercover videos in the slaughterhouses? I don't think so. Yeah. I could not be that person. But I can be among this team of many beautiful people to welcome our, open our arms and say welcome, and then to just offer what everybody wants, love, freedom, care, shelter, safety. So that's, I hope that answers your question about how I carry it. So Kathy, you know, besides hoarding, hoarding neglect cases, how do other animals wind up in your organization? Disabilities, birth defects, animals yeah, like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, in terms of number, sheer number, most of our animals come from Hoarders, because they're not just, they don't just hoard cats and dogs, even though that's a stereotype, or industry. So, for example, an industry is going to downsize, a, a pork producer is going to downsize by gassing all of their pigs, or a chicken industry needs to downsize and they're going to crush all their chickens, or they're going to heat up the bar until they basically cook their chickens alive. So in instances like that, sanctuaries will step up and say, I can take X number. Another way that animals have come to us, people finding out, veterinary students finding out that the animals they've learned how to learn, used as their subjects to do learn how to do procedures on, are going to go to auction, which of course is a euphemism for slaughter. If you're talking about a farm animal, they come from when families have died or when someone has lost a job. But a lot of them, you guys, the vast majority have come from hoarding and industry. 
And so who reaches out to you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, like, is there, yeah, like, how does it happen? Can individuals reach out to you for help or yes. from the bigger organizations like that are going into these it, courting it, situations? No, it happens okay. in every which way. So an, a woman contacted me two days ago because her daughter was a veterinary student and was bereft that this little cow named Mooington was going to auction because her daughter had become very attached to this cow. Now, sadly, we can't take him. We've just rescued four cows, 40 sheep, six goats, a chicken's arriving. On like we can't, we can't take him. But the local SPCA reaches out routinely. Individuals reach out because they know of a situation in which animals are, they drive down the, the road in rural New York and they'll see something that doesn't seem right, or they'll know that their neighbor is not taking care of their animals. Sometimes it is the big organizations, Humane Society or ASPCA or PETA, right, that reaches out. We took 10 pigs from PETA. We took we took 20-some turkeys from HSUS. We took a little stallion from the ASPCA. So it's a whole, it ranges from that that individual neighbor, that local police, that local SPCA to the family whose dad has died and they don't want his animals. What's so interesting to me is that all of these animals carry such a story, you know, and this is why I love animals. One of the reasons I love animals. I'm a writer. So to me, I feel like people are always asking, like, what is the overlap between writing and animals? And for me, like, this is the answer mm -hmm. that there is this story, it's like, I am Milton. I don't know Milton's story. I love his face and your website. And it's like, did he come from a, a veterinary student or, you know, or that animal comes from an owner that passed and is carrying the story of that love and that loss. You know, they come with full books in yes, them. And it's magical if you listen, if you get it read to you in conversation with them. I think it's also really important for Jenny, if I may call you out, Jenny, to hear about Mooington and, and that real, that real, you know, crossroads where I've just taken in 40 sheep and a bunch of cows and a chicken's coming, but, and I can't, I want to, but I can't because Jenny's opening her facility. She started a dog rescue about a year and a half ago and it's amazing, oh. but that and she's opening a facility. She's in Massachusetts. I'm going to stop talking like you're not here. This is not Steel Magnolias. But what, I'm, <laughs> what I mean is this idea of when you have to say no, and I know how mm -hmm. much that is something you wrestle with yourself. Yeah. I mean, in that moment where you were like, we can't take him. We have no room. I was like, I need to have that. Jenny. Because uh, I'm still, you know, I'm still struggling to get to that point. So if you do not learn to say no. And if you do not get good at saying no, you will become part of the problem. You will become a thank. We just took two cows from a sanctuary. It was a 501c3 um, where a woman had all by herself had 600 animals. There were dead animals all over the place. Not that you would have dead animals, but to learn to say no is one of those early lessons. And of course it's hard course it's hard because what does that mean for that animal you're turning away maybe nothing good maybe nothing good or maybe even probably nothing good but when you crowd and you stress your resources whether your resources are human resources 
space, space, financial, then you're not honoring your mission fully because I bet your mission is to do the greatest good for the greatest number. It is. And, and I am getting better every day. You know, a conversation with my board member today, we, we stopped transports for the month of October because things were just getting too crazy. And the matter of the fact is, we both know that if we continued down that path, then we wouldn't be here eventually to help. I will also tell you that the first two years are hell. (laughs) (laughs) They are. Here's a sprinkle. Praise. Hard. Because you're going through every freaking thing. Everything. Everything for the first time. Mm -hmm. You're experiencing loss for the first time. You're experiencing hoarding for the first time. You're experiencing the fundraising crush for the first time. You're experiencing how to juggle your space when you've got an aggressive dog that you didn't know would be aggressive. Blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on and on. Yes. Kathy, you have a preacher-esque quality to you when you speak. I just want to acknowledge this. It's something I love. It's very powerful. And I don't hear it enough in the animal welfare space. I don't know if you know Abraham Hicks. Esther Hicks, Abraham Hicks. Wait, remind me because I do. Okay, Esther Hicks is a woman who channels a channels a, a greater oh, entity. Oh yeah, we could have a whole conversation about refers that. Refers yep. to as Abraham Hicks. Guys, I'm not even going to pretend that I'm sorry for bringing this up. I am thrilled to bring this up. I am loving Abraham Hicks, and I'll take that with me. That's a hill I'll go on. I won't say die on, but I'll go there. And you have a quality of her of the way she speaks with like sort of a poetry and a passion that's happening to her. And I just want to acknowledge that because it's rare, it's beautiful, and it doesn't happen a lot in this particular space, I think. So don't stop that. Thanks, Katya. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. I do know of them because I think I might channel differently. And so when it first started to happen, I looked it up. Oh, you have got to get in there and channel. What a gift. Yeah. Automatic writing. What a download. Like that, if you, how can you be around animals to the extent that you are and open and aware, vulnerable to the extent that you are and not have downloads and not have the channel? They're just, I don't even know if that's possible. Of course, you are embodying what you do. You're so you're aligned. And I would, I would say, I'm so happy. I hope you trust it. Never to tell someone what to do, but that's just amazing. Magnificent. I, I do trust it. I don't do it anymore. And it's only because it was it's a function of time. I, I don't mm-hmm. it's just a function of time. What but eats I up should. most of your time? Um well right now, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm 64. I want to transition my role to the next generation of leaders and focus on writing, speaking, and teaching. But in the meantime, in the meantime, it's a little challenging. We've got absolutely the best team we've ever had. Hands down, the best team. Extraordinary people. There is not a weak link in the bunch, which is sounds like hyperbole, but it isn't. It really is. It's amazing. Is. <laughs> yeah. It took us a long time. Took, took us a long time and a, and, a little, and a little bit of crazy at times to get to this point. But I still have the deepest expertise in some little areas, in, you know, in some aspects of animal care. For example, working with old blind horses. We have a lot of blind horses. Mm. 
and I'm the primary fundraiser. So getting to that point is what's taking my time now, sort of mentoring people in the animal care team, shoring up a piece over here and a piece over there, um, building our board and raising money and writing, a lot of writing, a lot of writing, a lot of podcasts. <laughs> Kathy, can I ask a quick follow-up question that's been on my mind? Mm. Jenny and I talk a lot about like, you know, when we're doing dog introductions and play groups. And I'm just so curious when you get 40 sheep and four cows and when, when Nina is meeting uh, uh, Russell or Sam, like when your animals are meeting for the first time or put together, can you speak to how it's different with farm animals or how clear their communication is or how peaceful they coexist? Because I find them to be much more harmonious as mm -hmm. groups, but I'm also very ignorant compared to you who live with them every day. Right. Dog introductions sure can be tricky, but so can pig introductions. Mm -hmm. It really depends. I can't speak about the introductions of 11 different species because it's just different. All animals have a hierarchy. All animal groups have a hierarchy, including humans, even though we don't like to think about that. So pig introductions can be quite tricky. Pigs are fast and they're strong. But beyond that, it can be more or less difficult depending on the age of the pig who's being introduced, the genders of the pigs, how much room they have. You don't want to introduce them in a small space, mother of God, that sounds kind of obvious. <laughs> so... <laughs> so it you I really can't generalize about that horses are typically relatively easy cows can be unbelievably easy but I've also seen cow dynamics change within an established herd where the dominant one sort of ages out of his role and the little the youngster the youngster with will challenge him Hmm. So, uh, what about the intermixing? Like, I'll go to a sanctuary and I'm like, there's just like chicken hanging out with a goat and some sheep. I'm just like, I don't think we give them enough credit. I don't know. For some reason, it strikes me. And I'm wondering if that is maybe those animals are just those particular ones. But do you see that default of harmony in farm animals stronger than you do in people? Because I don't feel like we intermix species quite the way they do. I would say it all depends. At a true sanctuary, we, we have a phenomenon that I've written about in my books and, and on Huffington Post when I used to blog for Huffington Post and elsewhere called the Underfoot family. And that is the group of animals, the members always vary, who are allowed to free range. We open their stalls in the morning. They go where they want. If they're goats, they get into trouble. If they're sheep, they graze. If, they, if they're if they pigs, they go raid the compost pile. Um, but they're allowed to be free all day long. And when you've got that kind of freedom to make pretty much every choice about how you spend your day, where you want to take a nap, you know, then then there are fascinating dynamics that we observe. Chickens befriending pigs and chickens, oh my goodness, I haven't even talked about the animal who changed me, but we had a friendship <laughs> between a chicken and a sheep that was just hilarious because another sheep was insanely jealous of the chicken, <laughs> of the chicken, the chicken who loved her man. 
So that's amazing. True it's like story. Soap opera, farm sanctuary soap opera. Oh, I it love was it. a soap opera. It was I a soap opera. It. And it went on for years. I have two questions before we have to wrap things up. One, do you do adoptions or once an animal is with you, or are they just with you? And then two, do you have any working dogs on the property for animal protection? Okay. Neither one is a simple yes or no. Mm-hmm. We theoretically do animal adoptions due to bandwidth. Like we lost so much funding like all other nonprofits did when COVID hit and we had some of our income streams just disappeared overnight. So to do that properly really requires an adoption coordinator and we just don't have the budget to hire one. So for now, our adoptions are on hold. We don't have an issue with adoption philosophically as long as you do it right. You do the mm-hmm. pre-inspection, you do the follow-up post-inspection, you require updates, et cetera, et cetera. But unless and until we can do it properly, that's sort of on hold. Second question was? Working dogs. No, but we've talked about it. And we've talked about it a lot because we are surrounded on kind of two and a half sides sort of by deep woods Mm -hmm. and we have had predators. So as a solution, we have talked about a working dog, but we are not on the same page. Our team is not on the same page about the quality of life that that affords the dog. Mm -hmm. So we've just kind of tabled it and we'll revisit. We've revisited it many times and we never land on a solid yes. That's fair. When in doubt, leave it out. I mean, when When in doubt, leave it out. I just like, I have seen on social a couple of Anatolian shepherds and Pyrenees doing their jobs. And I think it's just fascinating. And they do look like they're having a great life. Like during the day, they go inside the house and they sleep. And then at night they're out with the animals and they'll sleep in the barn. And then if an animal alerts them, you know, they're up and out and protecting their friends. Maybe that's magical yeah. and not real, but I no, love the way I, that it looks. I, I don't have an issue. I personally don't have an issue with it philosophically. I don't know. A question for me was how much training does it take? Mm-hmm. And talk about yeah. something yeah. we don't have bandwidth for. Like, good Lord. I mean, we've got 150 acres and 30 barns and, and 20 some pastures and yeah. What is, what is next for like Murphy, go save animals. Like Murphy would be like, which acre, what is, (laughs) what is next with all these acres and all this land? And like, what, what, what is next for Catskill? What, what are you up to next? Looking at how to deepen out the impact of our programming, whether it's through offering Spanish speaking tours or tours for the hard of hearing, which are both on the on the docket, or deepening the tour experience. One thing that's been hard is that there's a threat of avian flu. And so we've mm. lost the ability to connect visitors with our birds. And mm. and they just visitors come undone when they meet our, our chickens and turkeys. And my favorite story to illustrate this is when a guy had come from the turkey barn, he just finished a tour and he, he, I was getting out of my car in the parking lot and he was finishing his tour and we locked eyes and I'd never seen this guy in my life. And he ran over to me, 
years. He was about 30. Tears streaming down his face. And he said, I get it now. Tell me what to do. Wow. Is wow. he the animal who changed you? Because that man could be. I really, I really like that story. Is he the animal who changed me? No. <laughs> but you're the animal who changed him, Kathy. Uh, no, I, oh, I think I think the turkey was the animal mm -hmm. who changed It was him. the turkey. Mm. No, Rambo is the animal that changed me. Oh, my God. What, who was Rambo? Rambo was a sheep who came from a hoarder with 17 other animals. There were dead animals all over the place, including, interestingly, Great Pyrenees. She had a bunch of farm animals and she had a bunch of starving Great Pyrenees dogs chained to a chain link fence mm -hmm. on a short chain. The SPCA intervened. We won the cruelty case. Rambo came here. I wish I had a copy of my book handy, but I don't because I could show you his photo. He was a Jacob sheep. He had massive horns, like just like four or five inches in diameter that went back, but then curled around in front of his face. And when he first came here, he was claustrophobic. And he, whenever, and why wouldn't he be? Because he had been locked in a stall with 17 other animals in a 12 by 12 stall. And one of the animals was a decomposing cow. So the last thing he wanted to do was be in a stall, but we had to confine him at night. We thought we did because predators come mm -hmm. after sheep and goats. Well, we just decided because he knocked the door down too many times. He just ram, ram, hence the name, ram, ram. And the two by fours would pop out from the bottom and he'd come out and he'd shake his head and he'd poop, which is what sheep do when they're pissed off, and then <laughs> go about his day. So we let him be free. We put a, a straw bed in at one end of the barn, this big, like 120 foot long barn and straw bed at the opposite end. He was our only animal to this day who is vulnerable to predation that we allowed to be free 24-7 because he was, confinement was driving him over the edge. This is his quality of life. Like he needed to be out there. He absolutely needed mm -hmm. to be out there. So one night I came down to check on the animals. And at the time we had not built our turkey barn. We had only two turkeys. We used to carry them outside and put them in their area and then bring them in at night. Well, it was November and it was sleeting and the barn team had left the turkeys out. So they were vulnerable to, to coyotes potentially and having a miserable night because it was November and it was sleeting. I walked around from stall to stall to stall. I went right past their empty stall and I didn't notice that they weren't. In. The door was wide open. So the human screwed up two times. Team, backup team, screwed up twice. Turkey's still out there. Circled around the far end, came to the end, said, Good night, animals. Rambo got up from his bed at the far end of the barn. <laughs> he walked all the way up to me and he looked up and he went, Bah. So I said, Show me what's wrong. Rambo walked halfway down the aisle and he walked into that empty turkey stall. And that wow. moment, that moment changed my life. He knew they were out there. He knew they weren't supposed to be. He figured out a way to tell a human being. He knew that the human being would help, which told me in a second 
that he understood what Catskill is about. And finally, a sheep who had never known kindness until he came to us four months earlier or whatever, had empathy for two animals who are having a pretty miserable night. And that moment taught me that everything I knew, thought I knew about the limitations of animals was because I was putting them through my human-centric viewpoint, my human-centric lens, and that I needed to stop and pay a different kind of attention. That is beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, I and I, oof. yeah, Katya is crying over here. It's, that was a lovely story. And I could just feel that when you were telling it and, you know, you named all of the things in that moment that you thought of. And for me, when I was hearing you, I was saying this animal trusts and this animal feels safe. That, that's what I got from that story is like, wow, that's a powerful thing. And I can see why you were so affected in that moment. Who understands that animals have this capacity? And do you know that for his, he lived to 16 and and he was with us for 11 years. We had this interesting relationship in which he did what rams do in nature. What do rams do in nature? They protect the flock. Every living being on Catskill Animal Sanctuary grounds was a member of his flock. Humans chickens used to come to my set, my house at night when the cows got out. Oh, Oh, he was extraordinary. I would love for Mm. you to send us a picture Picture. of (laughs) so we can make sure that he gets credited. Yeah. When we, when we get this episode out, I I want to ask where our listeners can learn more about you, support you, donate, uh, back you up, watch your stories, get involved, Mm. because a place that provides the time and the space and the energy for the 30-year-old man to feel from the animal, oh, man, I oh, boy, wow, wow, what do I need to do? And and that that it is the same place where uh, a ram... (laughs) can learn from a woman, oh, oh man, boy, whoa, wow, what, what, there's, there's turkeys out, what do I need to do? That that back and forth, that that mutual, like, synchronistic relationship exists there is a place that I know our listeners care a lot about. Mm. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share that. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is not my typical interview. I have done hundreds of these, of course, because I'm old. <laughs> I've done hundreds of these over 20 years, and you guys are good. The questions are good. You're both really conversational. It's like, good job. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. The easiest way is just to go to the website, um, casanctuary.org, and you'll find all our stuff there, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Bios um, of the animals, which I was obsessed with. And your book, your book. Info, Bios of the animals. Books my book is my one book. My first book is there. The second book is not out, not in print. So we don't have any copies of that. But the first book, which is the one that has Rambo's photo, I'll send you guys a copy of the book. Thank you, Kathy. You've been you. just very, very motivational and very, like Jenny said it, I, we could just feel it. Mm-hmm. And that's different than just hearing it or having an intellectual conversation. It makes all the difference in the world. It really does. This was wonderful. Wonderful.
let me leave your listeners with a parting thought. And thank you, by the way. Just because we live in a world that doesn't see farmed animals for who they are doesn't mean that they aren't those things. And if we don't, we didn't talk about anything. We didn't talk about climate change. We didn't talk about the impact of eating animals on the environment. But unless and until we, until and unless we change our relationship with them, we're in trouble. Not to mention the fact that they're in trouble every moment of every day. Thank you for tuning in to The Animal That Changed You. We'll see you next week. We hope you subscribe to this show and leave a review, tell your people, and become our friend. Follow us on Instagram at The Animal That Changed You and at Better Together Dog Rescue. We're here for you and we're here for your animals. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com.